Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, uh, we'll be talking about, ooh, the first week of the MLS is back tournament. It is in the books. Games actually being played on the field. We'll also be talking about the great escape from Man City. We'll be talking about the Champions League draw, Josh Sargent, Jesse Marsh, Mbappe, Aland, and so much more all on the State of the Union podcast. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, July 13th in the year 2020? I am doing well. I am happy to be busy again. As soon as we are done uh, taping this pod, I have to uh, jump in the shower, get dressed, and head to work for a long day of MLS's back coverage. It sounds so good. We're going to talk a a lot about that here uh, in a second. I I will say uh, this. I know we often kick off the show and talk about our viewing habits and our our latest uh, discoveries. I think last week or, or the last couple of weeks, I've told you that uh, my family, we have started watching the show Lost. You, you, I can't remember. You did know this show, right? You've, you've heard of this show. I am familiar with it. It pains me to tell you, uh, because I know there's a lot of fans out there, and I've seen a lot of people have gotten in touch with me over the last couple of weeks to tell, to, you know, with curiosity and interest as how I'm going to react to this. It pains me to tell you uh, and others that uh, I'm out. I'm out. I have uh, said thank you very much, but it's not for me. It jumped the shark. I know we have some younger uh, viewers and listeners out there on the State of the Union podcast. We probably don't know what jumping the shark means, but go look it up. It's a good little phrase to have, and I don't have the time to explain it all to you. But you know, the, the, the fact is that it very quickly, and this is in season one, by the way, it very quickly turned into something that I didn't think it was going to be, and I didn't want it to be. And that is... I was hoping for much more of a castaway adventure type of story as opposed to this, what, what evidently is now this supernatural, futuristic type of thing. And I think when, uh, when the main character's father started showing up in these dreamlike sequences, uh, that for me was, was, was too much. And it took me completely out of what had up till then been something pretty good. And I'm not saying that you don't ebb and flow and up and down. And I, I, may, I may give it another chance. By the way, it should be said that I am in the minority when it comes to my family. Uh, the rest of them have continued on with reckless abandon. Every single night they are, uh, they are uh, piping in uh, more, more shows. They are all in 100% on loss. But I tapped out and I said, uh, I said no. So look, you know, different strokes for different folks. It uh, it just didn't it didn't grab me the way that I wanted it to. And maybe I had an, an idea that was going to be something something else. So that's my uh, you know that's my television uh, information for you this week. And feel free to try to convince me to to continue on. And I still may continue on, but for now I'm out. Mossy, have you watched anything interesting this week? No, as I told you last week, Deadwood is now next on the docket for me, but seeing as I'm quite busy with this MLS's back tournament, uh, that's probably going to have to wait until the tournament is over, but I will eventually get to that. The reaction on Twitter has been very positive to me saying I was going to binge Deadwood. Uh, it is regarded as one of the great all-time shows, so um, when I'm finished with that, I'll be able to render my opinion here on this podcast. This, uh, this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a Western type of thing, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, maybe. Maybe I'll check that out. Okay, well, listen, you brought it up a couple times already, and we're going to get right to it. And that is uh, the return of Major League Soccer in the form of the MLS's back 
tournament down in Orlando. We talked about it. We dissected it uh, from afar and before a ball was kicked and all of the different drama that was going on leading up to it and as the teams got there. And finally, we had a whistle. You know, you mentioned from a from personal perspective, both of us and the crew that is fortunate enough and privileged enough at, uh, at Fox to be able to work again. I mean, it was just a wonderful week. But I'll start off with the return and our, uh, our good our, our colleagues and our friends over there at ESPN. Uh, they started it off last Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, look, it's hard, uh, and, and I give them credit because it is, it is hard to do something that's never been done before. And they have been integral and important and running point in terms of setting up the entire broadcast and production of the, of the games down there coming from, uh, from Disney. And, you know, that, that first night, it's hard because it has to reflect the fact of the times that we are living in. And it has to, you know, uh, be respectful. And it, it has to ha almost do, be everything to everybody. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. Uh, we've talked so much about the actual production. And we have already seen what has set up as a, it's not an adversarial or a, a competitive type of thing. But it is two different ways and two different philosophies about how to broadcast this. And I'm talking about enhanced audio and in particular the crowd noise that ESPN uh, very publicly uh, and you know, very graphically on the, on the first night, we saw that that was not something that they are going to do. And you know, I have to respect and I can actually understand where they are coming from. I, I happen to disagree and I, I want that crowd noise and that's why I'm happy that at Fox we decided to do, uh, to do that. But it, it, different, different people have different uh, ideas. I thought that uh, ESPN on that first night did a great job of framing it, not just in terms of soccer, not just in terms of the league, not just in terms of sports, but the, the times that we are, are living in. And I think they, you know, they did it appropriately and they, you know, they paid the respect, you know, whether it was the pandemic that we've all gone through and all of the challenges that players and non-players alike have gone through, whether it's the social justice issues that we are going through right now that manifested on the field in some incredibly moving and powerful ways. Uh, I think they did a really, really good job of presenting that uh, and then actually presenting the, uh, the actual game. And so from a Fox perspective, a couple days later, when we come on air, uh, which was Saturday night, uh, we had the benefit of seeing uh, what had already been done and we could tweak and, and do, some, do some different things. And some of that heavy lifting had already been done earlier by uh, ESPN. I think a lot of the conversation, Mossy, that is out there, and the first one I want to have uh, with you is, and I don't want to speak for you, but it was great to be back. It was, it was wonderful to be back in, in the saddle again, myself, uh, Rob Stone, John Strong, Stuart Holden in front of the camera, uh, and so many wonderful uh, men and women behind the camera. And I'll, I'll just finish it with this, and then I'll throw over to you, Mossy. I'm going to echo what I said when we came on air on Saturday night, and that is that, you know, yes, we live in dark and difficult and, has to be said, dangerous times. And not just the return of soccer or Major League Soccer, but the return of sports, this is a moment for escape. These are little windows of escape. These are moments for us to lose ourselves in the team, in the league, in the sport, in the game that we love. And in our case, it's, it's the beautiful game. 
And we all, we all recognize that. I think it was also a moment, uh, and I felt it on stage, and I felt it with the soccer community. It was also a moment you know, to, to give incredible thanks and to have pride and joy, especially to all the men and women, uh, the men on the field that were providing the entertainment for us, and the men and women off the field that have worked so hard to set up, you know, whether it's the bubble in Orlando, whether it's the bubble in, in Utah, whether it's the people coming online in market in USL and different places. But all of these, this doesn't just get done. A lot of people worked very, very hard to give us this escape and give us this moment of entertainment. And it, uh, it just made me feel great to be back and to be able to talk about the game that I love, talk about a league that I love. And just from a, a work standpoint, as I said, to be back in the saddle again. How'd you feel, Mossy? It felt great. Now, listen, we're just a few days into this tournament. Two teams have already been forced to withdraw, FC Dallas and Nashville. The reigning MVP of the league, Carlos Vela, opted not to participate. And a match between Toronto and D.C. was postponed just minutes before kickoff. So it would be disingenuous of us to act like it's been smooth sailing so far. There have been some issues. And as long as those issues persist, the debate about the wisdom of staging this tournament is going to continue. And that's absolutely fair. But like I said last week, I'll reiterate this week, I'm going to choose to focus on the soccer, which I've found quite enjoyable, uh, quite compelling so far. And I have to say, I I know I can sometimes poo-poo Americans' obsession with these World Cup-style tournaments, but there is something uh, to the fact that it's nice to wake up every day and have like two or three games on the slate. And and it it is this whole sort of tournament uh, format is kind of fun. I, I enjoy it. So for anybody that doesn't know out there, there are game slots both in the morning, and this is happening in Orlando. So it's early morning, which would end up being nine o'clock local time in Orlando, which is East Coast. Over here in, in, uh, in Los Angeles, obviously that's 6 a.m. So setting my alarm now for 5.55 to get up and watch these games, uh, I've never been so happy to be woken out of a slumber. And, and to be quite honest with you, I'm not even using the alarm because I'm getting up early because I'm so excited. So much so that actually... MLS is kind of like this drug pusher and they got me hooked early on. And when the day came where there wasn't a morning game, either because there just wasn't one scheduled or as you mentioned, one that got postponed, you know, I was, I was jonesing. There was not, there was no, there was no MLS product on the street and I was looking everywhere for for that (laughs) MLS product. And it, it just shows you how much, you know, and look, I know I'm knee deep in it, but how much I wanted that. But speaking to a lot of people, it was just, and, and we've talked about how, sports are our comfort food and so that comfort was was back and it was wonderful and i know it's not ideal I, look everybody under, under, understands that uh when it comes to the uh, the actual production a uh, kudos and a thank you to our not our not just our whole production team and everybody that that, it, uh, that that have done things but also the new i guess the newcomers to our production team that are giving getting a lot of attention and rightfully so that are giving us the enhanced audio i had a pleasure of going and and seeing their little setup where they have it in a in a far side of our fox uh, offices and meeting the people that are that are doing this and you know we've said this for months and i know i've been on the enhanced audio uh, and crowd noise train even before we even started playing even before the bundesliga came back online because it is this new art form and this emerging and evolving type of art form and to see the actual artists at work and what they are doing and how in real time they are being forced to mirror what is happening on the field. And in real time, it is changing and they are learning and they are, and some of them are soccer people to begin with, which is great because they understand the flow and the rhythm of the games. 
and I know there are people that don't don't like it. I understand. I understand that, and I can have the you know that that argument and debate. But I I need it. I feel it provides comfort for me to have that cushion of uh, of the crowd noise. It's not all. It's not always done correctly or or well, but even a game with bad crowd noise at this point for me is more comforting than a game without crowd noise. Mossy. No, I agree with you on, on the enhanced uh, audio. I, I am a uh, convert. I, I wasn't sure about that a few months back, but I, I've come around to your view of that. I and, love and, that. And yeah, on, on the field, listen, uh, I mentioned last week, one of the stories in MLS this season is this influx of Liga MX stars. Mm-hmm. And a couple that have really caught my eye in this tournament already, Lucas Zellerayan, the uh, Argentinian playmaker for Columbus, I thought had a wonderful performance, scored that great free kick goal for the crew against uh, and that dismantling of their Ohio neighbor, Cincinnati. And then Alan Polito, who I neglected to mention last week, a sporting KC fan tweeted at me about that. And it was a bad omission because he is a terrific player. And he showed it in that sporting KC goal against Minnesota, that wonderful turn and then set up to Kerry Shelton. Although sporting KC somehow found a way to lose that game. But yeah, so, so many exciting new players in MLS. I also had an interesting conversation with John Strong when the Atlanta United team sheet came out and I noticed that the front three was a Brazilian Rosetto, an Argentine Pitti Martinez and a Uruguayan Castro. And he also had Barco on the bench, all of them trying to fill the void left by a Venezuelan Joseph Martinez. Mm-hmm. And I talked to John Strong about that. And he said, yeah, you know, there has been this concerted effort in recent years. It gets more pronounced each season to, to go more the South American or Latin American route. Uh, MLS is sort of weaning itself off those aging European type signings. And I think the league is better off for it. Those players, they tend to be a safer investment. They adapt better to MLS. And so, like I said, it gets more pronounced each season. And that's really been on display in this tournament so far. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the, the nail on the head with investment and the, the value that they bring in, the sexy part of where they're coming from, obviously the talent that they have, but also that, that eventual sell-on uh, and the appreciation of uh, that asset that they are bringing in makes it very, very appealing. And, you know, talking about the game and, and, and the, you know, because it, it, it was fun to get in, back into that mode. And I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people transitioned very quickly back into that mode. And this goes to the the escape part of this, where it was fun to, again, be yelling at players and to be yelling at opposing fans and to be yelling at referees or to be yelling at, you know, talking heads like myself for, for what I, what, you know, what I was saying. And there was plenty of it. There has started to be, you know, some drama, some late comebacks. We're recording this on a Monday morning. DC United just came back against Toronto. They were down to nothing and they came back playing with 10 men to get the, uh, a 2-2 draw all sorts of stuff uh, going on. And as you mentioned, the continued narrative about what's happening, uh, what's happening in Florida, the, the protocols, the bubble, and if the bubble is holding, and all of these different things that, as you mentioned, are, are, are fair to discuss and are part of everything that is, uh, that is going on down there. And look, we all are knocking on woods and keep, uh, knocking on wood and keeping our fingers crossed that the players stay healthy, that we continue with a trend of overwhelmingly negative results when it comes and negative in the most positive sense results when it comes to the testing that is going on there on a continual basis. And we hope that that holds up and the actual play on the field. Look, it's hot. We all knew it was going to be hot. There's a lot of sweating going on down there uh, as we, uh, as we have seen, but, but it is fun. I think the tournament is going to ramp up now that teams are getting their first taste of what it is and what, and what it isn't. And I also think because in talking to players and in talking to, to teams, 
there are kind of two camps, or there were kind of two camps of, we're taking this seriously, this is an opportunity for us, and others that are saying, why are we, why are we doing this? Not even necessarily because of the, you know, the, uh, the health uh, uh, and the real health questions when it comes to it. Much more so, why are we going to Orlando? This is you know, a fabricated manufacturer type of thing. I think that that attitude is starting to change and the competitive juices are now starting to flow. People recognize that not only do the group stages, does the group stage matter because they count in your, in your regular season, but you know, there is a carrot out there with the Champions League. You're in a tournament type of mode. And once you start kicking the ball and you start getting into it, and especially when you only have three games to see if you're going to continue, to continue on, uh, I think this next round of games are going to be that much more interesting. It's funny, the first five goals of the tournament were all scored in the second halves of games. The three in the Orlando City Inter-Miami match, uh, Bedoya's winner for Philadelphia against NYCFC, and Gustavo Bo's winner for New England against Montreal. And your buddy Rob Stone was already sensing a theme there that maybe it's taking all these teams a half to kind of shake off the rust. And so he was getting ready to play that up. But then in our first game, Atlanta Red Bulls, Florian Valov scored after just four minutes. Columbus then scored two first half goals in the second match of our doubleheader, and there have been several first-half goals since then. So it kind of blew up that theme. And I could sense Rob is searching for, like, an overarching theme here. Last, last uh, <laughs> couple of nights ago, he started asking me about how many set-piece goals have there been. Uh, you know, so you know how Rob's mind thinks. So he's yes. going to try to come up with uh, some sort of soccer-related overarching theme of this tournament. I think he's still kind of searching for it right now. Uh, he is going to be searching because, and look, even in normal times, it's, it's MLS, and MLS is going to MLS. And to try to search for rhyme or reason when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> Major League Soccer is is a fool's errand. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. There will be some things that emerge out of this uh, that you could that you can kind of look to. But for the most part, I mean, look, I've, I've told you before, it, betting on MLS it's crazy, and the parity that exists, notwithstanding how horrible uh, FC Cincinnati uh, evidently continues to uh, continues to be, for the most part, there is there is a league of incredible parity relative to most leagues uh, around the world. And that's, that's on display. I, I, st I still don't think you're going to see, you know, massive score lines, wins or losses uh, either way when since he's uh, not involved, uh, not involved in the game, but you know, it was fun. And then, you know, the other, you know, part of the production thing, uh, there was talk about the Adidas logo in the middle of the field. And actually after the first couple of games, it actually, if you watch it became smaller. So I think, you know, everybody's listening and everybody is reacting and adjusting. This is all a work in progress. I didn't even notice the logo. It didn't register with me until people started texting me and I saw some tweets about it. That This was even a thing where people were miffed by this. Look, by the way, if that's the big problem, then we are golden right now. But <laughs> people did have a problem with it. We know from a FIFA standpoint, FIFA has always had a problem with it. Nobody was violating any rules here. This is uncharted territory, so everybody's fine here. I didn't have a problem with it either in its original form and certainly not in its, its shrunken form right now. And for people that don't know what it is, it's a, a logo, in this case, Adidas, one of the major partners for uh, Major League Soccer and has been since the start of the league, uh, has their logo virtually put into the game uh, in the center circle. So the players don't actually see it, but we at home do see it. And there's a lot of stuff at home that we see and hear that the players don't. We mentioned the enhanced audio. Uh, there are huge, huge boards, I guess, green screen type of boards that while we see at home, all of the step and repeats 
uh, when it comes to partners and uh, sponsors and uh, you know, commercial type of things. While we see it at home, the players don't uh, necessarily see it. We've seen water breaks now where uh, there's double boxes and going to commercials, uh, those types of things. Uh, we've talked so much about the audio and the enhanced audio, not just the crowd noise that is, that is pumped in or not pumped in, but just in terms of the microphone uh, placements and the amount of microphones Drones in the air showing us aerial footage of what's going on there. They have three fields down there that you are able to broadcast from. They all have the same type of look. And, you know, as I said before, it's easy from our couch or from the other side of the country or certainly anywhere outside of that Orlando bubble to throw stones and to say, well, why didn't Fox do this? Or why didn't ESPN do this? Or why didn't 2DN do this? Or why did they do all these, all these things? This is constantly going to evolve. This is constantly going to change. And as we said before, this is unprecedented. Nobody has ever done this. And people are looking at the way that MLS is doing this. I know for a fact that other sports uh, and other leagues are looking at the way that, for example, we at Fox are using that enhanced audio. So these, these are all potential templates uh, and potential best practices or some things that maybe you don't want to do or, or, or lessons that will come out of it that other leagues that come back online uh, will avoid. But in, in that sense, you know, the creativity and the spontaneous type of environment that is involved in there makes it an incredibly fascinating <laughs> case study to, to go through. I was, I was talking to someone yesterday. I do hope because, you know, we, 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 you know, I know you and I both love documentaries, but this was ripe for somebody at the very beginning of this to be that fly on the, on the wall type of documentary and to document all of this. Can you imagine all of the conversations and the back and forth that went into conceiving of this idea, then actually planning the idea, and then actually executing the idea and all of the different things that have come, come along? Because I don't think you have to be a soccer fan to enjoy something like that and to appreciate and, and to relate to some of the stuff that is going on now. And I hope, I hope they have done that. I don't know if they have, but it would have been a wonderful, and it may still be a wonderful opportunity for someone to do a documentary for the ages. Last thing for me, we're taping this on a Monday morning. So by the time you hear this podcast, uh, these games will already happen, but very excited for our doubleheader tonight on FS1. You've got LAFC against Houston, now led by Tab Ramos, mm -hmm. and then uh, the LA Galaxy against Portland, Chicharito. So uh, by tomorrow, the conversation will either be about Chicharito opening his MLS account or being scoreless in his first three Galaxy games. Well, you know what? I, I, I want to give Chicharito some love here, all right? I mean, not that, look, he gets plenty of love, and, and, but I do know that, you know, especially uh, someone who's coming into the league, being paid all the money, being, for you know, arguably the face of the league or one of the faces of the league and yet to score. Look, he understands that he's going to get criticism. Uh, and, uh, and that, I think that that, that is fair, but Chicharito is in Orlando. And uh, I want to, a uh, good friend, Tom Marshall over there talked about Chicharito uh, and uh, a quote that he gave where he said, we, when he's talking about the players, Chicharito, uh, all the players, we are trying to do our best. Life is not perfect. I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel safe, but we're not going to live out of fear. And I think that that deserves highlighting. I, I think that, that, that Chicharito, that attitude of, look, yes, they are paying me a lot of money. Yes, I am the face of this league. And yes, in a sense, I have a responsibility 
to be here that goes beyond scoring goals. Yes, he wants to score goals and, and that, you know, that's going to come and go. But I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that he said that and recognized that. And this isn't, once again, none of this stuff is about putting your head in the sand or ignoring the reality or ignoring, you know, the dangers and the risks and the challenges. Okay. But this is also about, and I've said this before, you know, MLS is a business. MLS is a livelihood to many people, both on and off the field out there. And doing the things to try to survive are important. And you need people like Chicharito to recognize that and to respect that and to reflect that in what they, uh, in what they do. Look, I hope, you, I hope he scores a bunch of goals. If he doesn't score goals, he's going to come in for criticism from myself and others. And that's just, that's, just part, that's just part of the deal. But just from a pure personal standpoint, I think that that was important to say. And I'm glad, I'm glad that he said that. And I'm glad that he is there and taking that responsibility. And by the way, this isn't a shot at, at those that, that aren't here, okay? Or, or aren't there, I guess, in, in Orlando. Everybody's got their different reasons and stuff like that. But as I've said before, this is an all-hands-on-deck type of scenario and situation. And, and I'm, glad that, I'm glad that Chicharito is, is, uh, is on deck. And like you said, it'll be fun to see what LAFC looks like, you know, the cream of the crop when it comes to MLS, obviously, without Carlos Vela. Uh, we saw what Atlanta looked like. I, I'm okay with Atlanta, uh, even, though, even though they lost that first game. They're still going to be fine, as I am also okay with a team like NYCFC, who also lost their first game, which means they haven't won yet in 2020. They haven't even scored a goal yet, but I still think that they are a quality team. So some of these teams, we may, we may come out of this tournament with the, uh, the tendency to, to alter or change our perspective on what they are, and that could be dangerous, or it could reveal itself in this tournament what they actually are, and maybe they just go on and continue to be that going forward. Uh, I would think that if you're Cincinnati right now, you hope that this is an anomaly and aberration and you are not revealing yourself to be the train wreck that at least showed up on the first, uh, on the, on the first game. And hopefully uh, they can improve. But Jopstam has his, <laughs> his hands full in terms of getting that team to, at the very least, be competitive. And that's really what it's all about in Major League Soccer, Mossy. It, it, no other league in the world gives you more opportunity to, at the very least, be competitive okay you don't have to be like lafc you don't have to be like atlanta but you at least have to be competitive and to date they have shown that they have an inability to actually be competitive in mls and that's you know that's that's an indictment on the decisions that are made but it can change and i hope that it does because we need uh, cincinnati to live up to the great fans that they have and to the great environment that they have created there but now they got to give them the proper type of product and talent on the field that matches up with what they got going on there. So MLS, uh, MLS is back, is back, and uh, it's, it's off and running. We are working. We couldn't be more thankful and, and as I said, joyous about the opportunity uh, to do this. I hope that you're watching. Uh, it's fun. It's interesting. It's different. And as I said before, we all recognize that it's not ideal, but we're making the best out of a very difficult and challenging situation. Anything more on MLS is back, Mossy? No, that's it. All right, uh, let's move on then to Man City. Oh my goodness. I know how much you were looking forward to today, well, one way or the other, because as we said, we're recording on Monday. And while we were just getting up or uh, asleep earlier in the, in the day, I guess you will, uh, I guess you'd say, the decision came down about Man City. So just first off, give us the scene right now and then what just happened over the last 12 hours, I guess. 
All right. So uh, WAFA a few years back introduced these financial fair play rules, which essentially stipulate that a club can only spend what they bring in in revenue. The idea being they don't want these super rich owners buying clubs, spending their own money. They think that inflates the transfer market in an unhealthy way. It widens the financial inequalities. And also, if a club is living above its means and then the owner decides to sell the club, he could leave behind all these bills that they're not able to pay. And UEFA insists that financial fair play is working, that European football is overall more financially stable than it was before. And some clubs have been punished with financial fair play penalties, but there's this perception that the top, top clubs are untouchable, that they can do whatever they want and skirt the rules and UEFA uh, doesn't have the authority to punish them. And that's what made this Manchester City case so uh, significant. In reviewing Manchester City's financial records, UEFA determined that they were inflating how much money they were bringing in in sponsorship deals to cover up the fact that it was really the owners just spending their own money in all these expensive transfers. So they hit them with the death penalty, uh, which was a two-year uh, European ban. They would have been out of the Champions League for the next two seasons. City appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and the decision came down this morning. Now, over the past few days, lots of reporters that were covering the proceedings have been tweeting that wave, that City were going to be exonerated. So when I woke up to that news this morning, it was not a big surprise. That was kind of the buzz going in. But uh, City were, in fact, exonerated. The ban has been lifted. All they were hit with was a tiny little fine for not cooperating with uh, WAFA's investigation. There, there were some financial records that they were supposed to turn over that they didn't turn over by the date that WAFA had asked. So that's essentially a slap on the wrist. Uh, I mean, 10 million years, that's what they spent on Zach Steffen. So <laughs> as far as the ban itself, the Court of Arbitration for Sport uh, concluded that all their alleged breaches, they either occurred too long ago outside of, there's like a five-year statute of limitations, or the ones that occurred within the last five years, or allegedly, there wasn't conclusive evidence to, to back it up. So uh, the ban has been lifted. Uh, City are celebrating this as a total exoneration. They think this lifts any kind of cloud from their achievements over the last decade. We can we can debate that if you'd like. And so it is. There's no way around it. It is a very damaging defeat for UEFA because, like I said, it reaffirms this notion that the the top clubs, the so-called super clubs, can get away with whatever they want, and there's nothing to stop City or PSG to, from continuing to operate the way to do, or Newcastle, who it looks like are now going to sort of join that fray. So. There you have it. All right. So optics, right? Uh, so look, I know in this day and age, in, in life in general, it's guilty until proven innocent as opposed to innocent until proven guilty. But the there is the potential out there, even for incredibly rich people or entities out there to be wrongfully accused. Is this a case, Mossy, where, yes, they had the means to fight this, but ultimately they fought the good fight in that they did nothing wrong. Or do you actually believe that they did something wrong, but they had the means to fight it and to make it just go away? I think the second thing you said. <laughs> Keep really? in mind a couple of years ago, uh, this organization called Football Leaks, which is essentially a football version of WikiLeaks, mm -hmm. they obtained these documents and emails in which city officials were essentially bragging about the fact that they were able to like skirt these rules and outsmart UEFA. And a German publication, Der Spiegel, published all these damaging emails and documents. These were not allowed to be part of the proceedings because they were legally obtained. So uh, critics of Manchester City are pointing to this and saying, look, you got around this in a technicality, but 
still there's evidence right there that you have been cheating. And so there is still a dark cloud over uh, city's accomplishments and people are still always going to look at you, you know, in a, in a kind of a weird way. So um, I don't know. I mean, but the impression yeah, but, that's wait, been but left wait a here, second, but wait a second, hold on a second. So in, in, in real life, okay. If you have been cheating, okay. And you find legitimate loopholes or ways around in order to defend yourself from it. And you, you get off on that is, is the system broken? I mean, so is this system broken because Man City, Man City was able to do something uh, like this? I know I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, but I, I, I just, I want to, well, first off, I want to be fair to everybody. And I, and I, I do think it's, you need to be fair to Man, uh, to Man City in this, in this situation. If, if all of this is true, and they have been exonerated, okay, and, and through whatever loopholes, then why the hell was this brought in the first place? Why couldn't they see that 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 the the documents were going to weren't, weren't going to be let in because they were falsely obtained? Why couldn't they see that Man City was going to uh, go and say all the different things that you said? Because it seems very very clear. If that's the defense, then you better be prepared for if somebody brings that defense. No, absolutely. Wafa looked bad here. They did not uh, prosecute this case well. And yeah, no, everything you're saying about City, uh, I think is fair. Now, I, I, I will say, listen, I, my, my opinion has been as long as these rules exist, they should be enforced. And it's, it's kind of difficult to understand how Wafa could look at the same documents as the Court of Arbitration for Sport and reach such different conclusions. As far as Wafa are concerned, they were in flagrant violation of financial fair play, while the Court of Arbitration for Sport essentially said they weren't in violation at all. So that that's a little bit confusing to me. But I will say there's a larger, larger conversation here about whether financial fair play even makes sense, because right. uh, there are people that argue that, you know, you have these like traditional powerhouse clubs, the Real Madrid's, the Bayern's, the, the, the Barcelona's, the Manchester United's, who are the global brands who bring in much more in revenue, and that all financial fair play is doing is sort of preserving that elite class and standing in the way of anybody being able to join that group. Because let's be honest, right now, the fastest way for a club that's not a traditional power to get up to that elite level is to be bought by a rich owner who's ambitious and decides to spend a lot of his own money. And so there is this sort of larger debate about, and we have this too in Germany with the 50 plus one, we have it in MLS. And is there something fundamentally wrong with a, a rich, ambitious owner buying a soccer club and deciding he wants to spend a lot of his own money to try to win? Now, listen, in the case of City and PSG, once you, if those owners are like the leaders of countries like Saudi Arabia and Qatar, and people think they're getting involved in sports that could buy legitimacy, that, that opens up a whole other can of worms that we don't have to get into. But putting that aside for a second, just this larger philosophical debate, do you have an issue with uh, somebody very rich buying a soccer club and choosing to spend a lot of his own money to try to make the team good? I don't have an issue with it because I think that's what's the, that's the expectation. That's the whole point of it. Okay. That's the whole point that, that they are trying to do something and they have the means to be able to do something. And they're, they are buying into ahead of time, something that they understand that these are the rules that you can spend money. And yes, they've tried to cur curtail that. If they really want to do it, then you, you, you do what MLS does or you do what American leagues do with actual salary caps. And then we actually see it. But I like the super club, but I expect the super club to spend more than everybody else. That's, and I, I don't want them curtailed in any way because that's, but, but I compartmentalize that's because that's a whole nother way of doing business that, that I can appreciate and love. And that's what I want to see when I'm, uh, when I'm, when I'm watching someone, but here, here's my other question to you, Mossy, because is this a question where you don't want to 
you know, cut off your nose to spite your face in that is, in this case, it would be, well, the world, certainly world soccer, but in this case, European soccer, or in the case of England, English soccer, is, is the game served by not having Man- Manchester City play in Champions League? Yeah, I'd I'd rather see them in it. And I know Arlo White sent that tweet this morning and and he's been getting criticized. What was the tweet? I didn't see it. What did he say? He said something to the effect of, look, I know people uh, dislike Manchester City, but as a football fan, I fundamentally like watching that team play. They play beautiful soccer. Like, it's not a bad thing to me that the club that plays like Manchester City exists. And so he sort of took that tack. So can you blame the soccer world acting (laughs) out of its best interest then when it really comes down to it? I mean, you know, the, the, you know, standing on principle and, 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 you know, the, the moral part of it is all fine and well, but this is, this is a business. And if you are taking something in and look, this is still sports. Okay. But if you're taking something away from the fan and, and I say fan, but a lot of times I call them the customer. You're taking something away from the customer that the customer has shown they like to have and they want to buy and they want to have around. Then once again, you're, you're, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. So in that way, I, this, this makes all the sense in the world. No, I, I agree with you. And it obviously has massive implications in the Premier League. I don't know if you want to make the turn to that because we, we had been analyzing the Premier League here since the restart uh, in this battle for Champions League places for next season, not knowing if it was going to be top four or top five. We now know it is, in fact, going to be top four because City, who have already clinched second place, are eligible for the Champions League next season. And so, to me, the big loser in this whole deal is Leicester because they've really struggled here. They've won just three of their last 14 Premier League games. They just got drilled by Bournemouth. And, you know, we're taping this on a Monday morning. United play Southampton later today. But this is feels like it's trending towards... Uh, United and Chelsea finishing three and four and Leicester dropping out and Leicester thought until recently they might have that safety net of fifth being a Champions League spot and it's not. So I think I think they're in big Leicester's relying on Man City getting kicked out. That's that's their whole game plan. Now, listen, Alex Dowd, Chelsea, not exactly lighting the world on fire either. They got they got thumped by Sheffield United in the game. But still, I I think they're going to figure out a way to finish in the top four, along with United, who are rolling. Uh, And it's interesting, the last round of games in the Premier League, United face Leicester and Chelsea face Wolves, who are also still hanging around and in the mix here. So it it is kind of neat that it works out where the four teams are going to be battling for those two spots, uh, kind of go head to head against each other in that final round. But if I was a betting man, I think United and Chelsea get those spots and Leicester and Wolves are left on the outside looking in. So does this does this news and and correct me if I'm wrong there was there was also an opportunity to appeal it but they, they don't think that that actually is going to happen in terms of the verdict here. Well, the thing I read was that had City lost, they, they were going to appeal it to the Swiss court, got so it, they had it, another it. recourse. But obviously, they won, so it's a moot point. Well, does this does this click in then some sort of spending spree, if you will? Uh, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to because but I mean. They, they are incredibly rich. That is the funny. You mentioned the $10 million. I mean, it's what they paid for Zach Steffen. I mean, you could actually find that under the cushions at the players lounge. Let's be <laughs> honest. I mean, they have so much, they have so much money, but now with champions league back in play, does this just pep? Well, first off, pep isn't going anywhere. The players aren't going anywhere. So that changes the dynamic and the business part that could possibly have happened in the off season here. But do they go now and upgrade? Is that are the coffers open again? It is funny this notion that well the shackles are off. Have the shackles been on the last few years? Because <laughs> it seems true. to me like they're still <laughs> spending a lot of money. But yeah, I, I think 
you're right. I mean, they, they could feel liberated here to go even farther than they otherwise would. And I think this gives them a boost for the Champions League this season, which they're still in. And, and you know, if you want to get into the draw, which also occurred. Yeah, let's let, let's transition into the Champions League draw. I mean, you, you, you brought it up and it's uh, and, and just uh, so everybody understands the 20, I guess it's, we're still calling it the 2019-20 Champions League will ultimately be finished in another bubble, uh, this one being in Portugal. And uh, uh, give us the dates on when this is all going to happen, as far as you know, Masi. All right, so there's still four round of 16 second legs to be played. Uh, and by the way, UEFA confirmed recently, those matches will occur at the home stadium of the teams that were supposed to host them. And so those matches will occur August 7th and August 8th. And then once we're left with eight teams, they will all go to Lisbon the quarterfinals will be August 12th through the 15th. Uh, this is all culminating with a final at the Stadio da Luz, Benfica's home stadium, on August 23rd. And quarterfinal, semifinal, and final are just one, one match. Yep. So Neutral venue, one match, winner goes on. Exactly. Uh, so, so right now we have, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, RB Leipzig versus Atletico Madrid. That one's ready to go in Portugal. Right. Uh, Atalanta PSG, ready to go in Portugal. Then it's going to be either Real Madrid, Man City versus the winner of Lyon Juventus. So who's going to be, who's that going to be, Masi? Listen, I don't think it's a lock, but City are certainly in good shape. They won 2-1 at the Bernabeu, so uh, they will bring uh, a 2-1 lead into that second leg. And Sergio Ramos is suspended. He got sent off on that first leg. So I think he'd have to fancy City to move on there. And then the other one, I strongly fancy Juventus to turn that turn around that 1-0 deficit. Yeah. Uh, Lyon will have played only one competitive match in like the five-month period. Remember, Ligue 1, they pulled the plug on their season. They were the only one of Europe's top five leagues to do so. They have a French League Cup final against PSG in late July, but that's it. That'll be their only game between when they last played in March. And uh, they, they, are, they are scheduling friendlies, by the way, and so are PSG. PSG played a friendly against Le Havre, uh, which they won 9-0 this past weekend, and they have a couple of other scheduling. very friendly. <laughs> and and by the way, that game had fans in the stadium. So while uh, France, it was the, the one of the top five leagues to pull the plug in their season. It's actually the first to have uh, first country to have fans back uh, in a stadium for a game, even though it was only a friendly. And and I think PSG have a couple more friendly scheduled. One of them is against one of them is against Celtic, I believe. But so PSG and Lyon are doing what they can to try to mitigate the damage from not having played in so many months. But nevertheless, it is a huge disadvantage. So even though Lyon will bring a 1-0 lead into that second leg, I strongly favor Ronaldo and company to turn that around in Turin and to advance to the quarterfinals, which would set up a very tasty quarterfinal, Manchester City against Juventus in Lisbon. And then the final one, Napoli-Barcelona versus winner of Chelsea-Bayern. All right, so Bayern Munich's going to finish this off, not a problem. So, Right. Yeah, and I, I think they really benefit from the fact that that tie isn't over yet. Had they played both legs against Chelsea, they would have like a preposterously long gap here between the German Cup final against Leverkusen July 4th and then that quarterfinal game in Lisbon mid-August. Uh, the fact that they have that second leg against Chelsea and, you know, it's, it's, they're up 3-0 on aggregate, so barring a catastrophe, they're going to move on. They can use that second leg to kind of shake off the rust before going to Lisbon. So I think they really benefit from that. And yeah, but they should finish off Chelsea there. And then the other one, listen, uh, nothing's safe with Barcelona these days, but still, uh, they got a 1-1 draw in Italy. So they'll they're be home against Napoli and Messi. And you, if you had to choose, you'd sort of favor Barcelona to move on there, which would set up another amazing quarterfinal, Bayern Munich against Barcelona. Okay, but these are all single game in yeah. Portugal. So 
do you want to save this for next week to actually give the predictions? I reserve the right to change this when it gets closer. Okay, but sorry. So let's go. Yeah, now, we'll do it now. And then if you want to change. My final would be Atletico Madrid against either City or Bayern. Uh, I think Atletico Madrid were the biggest winner here. They have to be the happiest team in the way this draw shook out. Leipzig did not play well after the restart. Uh, they will take the field against Atletico Madrid, having not played a competitive match in six weeks and with no Timo Werner, who has decided to skip the Champions League to go straight to Chelsea. So Leipzig, to me, was the most desirable opponent in this whole draw. Atletico Madrid got him. It's one game. You never know. But still, I strongly favor Atletico to get through Leipzig. And then PSG or Atalanta in the semis, which is not easy, but they'll take their chances there. Uh, so I think Atletico Madrid have it nicely set up here to come out of that side of the draw. They've played well since the restart. So I think Diego Simeone is going to find himself in another Champions League final here. They've come agonizingly close twice before to winning it. Maybe this is the year. And like I said, the other side, I'm not sure yet, but I picked City at the start of the season and obviously been very impressed with Bayern. So I think it's going to be either City or Bayern to come out of that side. All right. Well, we're going to look forward to seeing that. And uh, news coming out that uh, CBS has picked up the... I don't know. What are we calling this? Are we calling it? I and mean, we were still calling it Champions League, right? For, oh, for absolutely. 1920. Yeah. And, and, and listen, they, uh, they, they actually did a little draw show with Thomas Rongen as the analyst. And look, you and I, we didn't criticize Turner much because that would be petty on our part. And plus, they had a lot of people working on the show that are friends of ours, Kate, Stu, <laughs> Ryan Bailey producing. And we're not going to criticize CBS too much either. I wish them all the best. And they've been, they've been thrown this like at the last second way before they were supposed to get it. So I'll cut them some slack. But uh, a little bit of an inauspicious start. Thomas Rongen on their draw show said that Atalanta have struggled since the restart, which at the they time won that he six made, games in a row or something. At like the that? time that he made that comment, they had six wins out of six in Serie A, including wins over Napoli and Lazio. Uh, they then went out this weekend, thoroughly outplayed Juventus. We're very unlucky not to win that game. Two-two draw in Turin. We'll see what happens between now and 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 the end of the season. Maybe they their form will dip. But at the time he said that, it's a preposterous thing to say. I don't know what Thomas Rangan was looking at, but so that 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 was that was an unfortunate one from him. But uh, uh, television. <laughs> It giveth and it taketh away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that PSG-Atalanta tie is is very interesting because Atalanta are kind of the hipster's favorite team right now, and PSG is everybody's least favorite team. So all the neutrals are hoping that Atalanta blow PSG's doors off. And and, and Atalanta, I mean, they, they're very explosive. They score goals for fun. Uh, and PSG, as we said, won't have played too many games. They'll, they'll have had two cup finals, the French cup final against Saint-Étienne and then the French League Cup final against Lyon. And like I said, these friendlies they're scheduling, the one against Leaf this weekend and then a couple more they have, Celtic. But whether that's enough to prepare you for a game against the Atalanta team that's like firing at all cylinders, we'll see. I mean, that's going to be a very interesting quarterfinal match. All right. Well, you know, the summer of soccer continues to heat up. All sorts of stuff going on domestically, internationally, including uh, Champions League. That'll be fun to, uh, fun to watch. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll have our Ask Alexi segment. Uh, you know that one with the hashtag Ask Alexi. So all sorts of questions, comments, and concerns out there from uh, the good folks that have sent in uh, questions on the social media platforms. Uh, we'll be back in a second. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi or Ask Mossy and you send us in some questions and we pick three of them each week uh, that tickle our fancies. And uh, we have picked out three ones this week. Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? First up, at Tom underscore Steely. Thoughts on the present and future of Josh Sargent now that Werder Bremen have survived? 
Josh Sargent, possessor of the uh, mutant gene, uh, one of my own, a player that we all have have had and continue to have high hopes for because this is a young player who obviously is playing in the Bundesliga who is a, a goal scorer. Hasn't scored a lot of goals, hasn't gotten a lot of starts uh, for Werder Bremen, but the, the potential is there. And right now, I mean, you're looking from a, a goal scoring U.S. national team perspective at the hierarchy is still Josie Altador at the top. Jossie Zardes, I think, is underneath, yeah, second or third. And Josh Sargent was supposed to come on, hasn't. I, I, I watched this and I thought to myself, all right, Josh Sargent has just gone through a year where he hasn't started. The team has at times been horrible. And he is going to be associated with that effort and, and, and the problems. Well, and, and look, as I said, he doesn't start because it's not necessarily his fault. But a small part of me, just for his development, and I'm even talking about the national team, just for his development, kind of wanted him to get a year in the second Bundesliga and to have an opportunity where he would be playing on a consistent basis. Look, if he gets it in the, in the Bundesliga for a team and he moves to a different team and he's playing on it consistently, fine. But this guy's got to play, okay? And from my perspective, I would hope that, that he's playing for a team where he, where he gets service. I mean, it is a slog. And, the, you know, we saw Bobby Wood go through something like this. And I think Josh Sargent actually ultimately can be a better player uh, and much better player than, uh, than Bobby Wood. But for a goal scorer, it's very, very hard to do everything your, uh, yourself on a team that doesn't create a, a whole lot, that is defending most of the game. It's, it, it's very difficult, and it shades the way, players, the way players look. So, you know, to your question, if he's going to stay at Werder Bremen, fine, but he's, he's got to be a regular starter. Otherwise, it, I think he continues to stunt that growth. And... I don't know, Mossy. What, what, what do you think? If you're Josh Sargent's agent or Josh Sargent himself, what would you do? Yeah, I'd maybe give it one more season at Werder Bremen, but I agree with you. If uh, the next season doesn't go much better than it's gone so far, then he, he might need to change his scenery. Yeah, I mean, it was so promising at the very beginning there, but it, it seems to have... And, and, you know, he still has the occasional flash that, that gives you hope that things could work out from there. But it, yeah, it hasn't, overall hasn't really come together for him at, uh, at Werder Bremen. Uh, now, I did want to use this question as a jumping off point to ask you about another American uh, who spent this past season in the Bundesliga, Zach Steffen, who we discussed yep. earlier. News came out a few days ago that he's not going to go on loan again. He's likely to go back to Manchester City to be a backup next season. Uh, Stu Holden reacted to this by very negatively. He thinks that Stefan is at a point in his career where he needs to play regularly and sitting on the bench at Man City is not going to be good for his development. And Stu went as far as to say that if Stefan is stuck on the bench at Man City, that Brad Guzan should be the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. national team. As you can imagine, folks on Twitter have roasted Stu for that take. They think he's being an MLS shill there. And, you know, I've seen a lot of like, Joe, just being a backup at Manchester City and training there every day counts more than, than being an MLS. And then Stu has fired back. And, you know, there's a whole faction of U.S. fans looking to go at Stu anyway because they're still mad about the U.S. soccer presidential election and whatnot. Uh, I was wondering if you had any comment on the Zach Steffen situation with Stu said and Steffen versus Guzan and, and Steffen being a backup at City rather than a starter somewhere else. Well, Stu Holden does not need me to defend him. And look, we don't agree on everything. And, you know, Stu is more than capable of providing hot takes that I may or may not agree with. In this case, though, all right, it's, it's obvious. 
Zach Steffen, good goalkeeper, uh, could potentially be a great goalkeeper, and maybe more so than any goalkeeper in the pool right now, could potentially fulfill what Greg Berhalter wants in a goalkeeper. And that is specific to him because of his confidence and his talent and ability to play out of the back and to be that sweeper keeper in terms of the distribution. And yes, that absolutely plays into the, the city way of playing. And so from that perspective, I can see a little bit of what people are talking about. However, no, he needs to play. This is not a grizzled veteran. This is not a, a, a player that has been there and has done that. This is a player that hopefully will be great one day. He's not getting better simply by training and just by soaking up this rarefied air and atmosphere that evidently permeates throughout the city complex when it comes to this club. No, you have to be playing. He has to be playing. So look, I'm not going to deny the fact that he, you know, he will have experiences there that are different and could be beneficial, but he's, he's a goalkeeper. Yes, but he's, he's a player. We just talked about uh, Josh Sargent. You need to play. We want, look, we, when I say we, I mean the U.S. men's national team. We want our starting goalkeeper to be a consistent starter somewhere. Okay, that it doesn't do us any good as the United States to have our starting goalkeeper be a backup, even at Man City, as great as Man City is right now. So in this case, I, I will defend and I will agree with my friend and colleague, uh, Stuart Holden, when it comes to Zach Steffen going forward. And absolutely. Right now, Brad Guzan is the number one for the United States. And, you know, that may or may not change. And I don't know what Greg Berhalter thinks. The only caveat I will say is that Zach Steffen's ability with his feet, and I know sometimes he puts himself in, in trouble, but that's kind of, that's what it is about when you are playing out of the back and when you are asked to play for someone like City. And I think what Greg Berhalter wants of his goalkeepers his ability with his feet, and it's nothing against Brad Guzan, is superior right now than Brad Guzan's. But ultimately, you're a goalkeeper. You're there to save the, save the ball and to make those saves. And right now, the U.S. is not Man City, okay? The U.S. is not Spain. So the ability to play out of the back as a goalkeeper, while I can respect it and I can value it, right now, the United States men's national team needs a goalkeeper that is going to save the ball. And I don't care if he kicks the ball into, the, the, into row 50, as long as he is saving the ball. Because more often than not, the U.S. is going to be under pressure and you are going to need to save the ball when you are playing against the elites of the world, which is ultimately what we are trying to do. I'm not talking about playing against teams that we are better than. I'm not talking about playing against CONCACAF teams. I'm talking about playing against the elites that at some point we have to measure ourselves up against. And I, I'm going to need a goalkeeper at that time where we don't have a lot of possession and where we are getting, uh, where we are under pressure that has the ability to save the ball as opposed to just play out of the back. I'd like them both, but if I have to take one right now, it's the guy that's going to save the ball. So anyway, all right, what's, what else, Monsi? What do, uh, do other people want to know? Next up, uh, we're going to refer to this guy by his name because his Twitter handle is a little bit funky. It's a lot of uh, letters and numbers. Yes. Uh, Thomas Clark asks, is Jesse Marsh the best American coach? Is Jesse Marsh the best American coach? Not necessarily. And I mean, depends what you, what your criteria is for a, a good coach, or I guess the best coach is, is he at this point, the most 
high profile because of because of the fact that he's doing it in Europe? Yeah. Okay. But no, I mean, no, not necessarily. And Jesse Marsh could go to, you know, wherever his next team is and he could lose. And that doesn't mean he's a bad coach. We've, you know, we've talked about this before. So I don't think it's as simple as saying that Jesse Marsh is having success in Europe and therefore he's the best American coach. It's just, yeah, just, I, I, I think it's a, you're, you're being shaded and you're biased simply because of the, you're looking at it through European tinted and colored shades. And that I think can be, uh, can be dangerous. Now, look, he may very well become the coach that leads us to the promised land and may ultimately end up as being the greatest coach the U.S. has ever seen in terms, uh, in terms of the results. And I love what he's doing right now. Congratulations to him, by the way, you know, for being champions this year. And I'll be really interested to see where he goes next because he's, he's parlaying this stuff. And that next level and that next challenge will be, will be very interesting. But you know, every coach at some point comes into a situation where it's not necessarily about whether you're a good or bad coach. It's circumstance. It's ownership. It's changeover. It's timing, whatever it ends up being. And it just, uh, just a bad fit. And I hope that Jesse can avoid that. But if you ask the grizzled old vets of coaching, they will tell you at some point, that buzz, stop, that buzz saw comes from you and you drop into a place that you think is going to be great and ends up not being great. And it's going to tarnish your image. But in the same way that just because you're winning and you're doing great things doesn't mean you're a great coach. If you're losing and not doing great things, it also doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. I will say, I think a lot of U.S. fans are holding out hope that if it goes wrong with Burhalter, that Jesse Marsh will come riding in uh, to rescue the U.S., and they're sort of operating under this premise that for any American coach, the national team is sort of the ultimate job that you, you can't turn down if it's offered to you. My sense is that Jesse Marsh right now is way more focused on succeeding in Europe and being the first American to coach a top European club to sort of shatter that glass ceiling. And that's really his focus for the foreseeable future. And he's a young guy, the national team, that can come later on in his career. I, I don't get a sense that he, if the national team job was offered to him right now, that he would drop what he's doing in Europe to take it. That's just my sense. He just won a league and cup double at Salzburg. Keep in mind, his predecessor at Salzburg, Marco Rosa, he parlayed success at that club into a job with Gladbach. Uh, so that's probably the level you're looking at Jesse Marsh to go to for his next club, which is pretty good. That's like a top four or five Bundesliga team. And if he did well there, that could even lead to like a prominent Premier League job. So I think Jesse Marsh has those aspirations before the U.S. men's national team. That's just my sense. Maybe, maybe, but I will tell you this. If Jesse Marsh got a premiership uh, job and did great with that team, and I don't know, who knows, won a title, whatever, or, or, or you know, did, did wonderful things, and Greg Berhalter took the men's national team to a World Cup final or something like that, it wouldn't even be, and that's, I think, where there is the, the recognition that there is an opportunity and that is the holy grail for coaching. Uh, and probably not even just for American coaches, but for, for anybody. If and when that man or woman takes the U.S. men's national team to the promised land, that man or woman will be rightly cherished and valued uh, and talked about much more so than if that person did something great from a club perspective. Man or that's, woman. That's, so if it went wrong with Burhalter, you would hire Joe Ellis for the U.S. men's national. I don't care who does it. Yeah, I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not being flip. I'm not trying to be, you know, cool or 
virtue signal or anything like that. Honestly, I don't care at this point. To get the best person in there for the job that's going to take us to the promised land. That's it. Uh, and, and as I said, that person, there, you know, I don't know even know if we're doing Mount Rushmore's anymore, but uh, that person will be first and foremost up there. All right, Mossy, anything else? Uh, we'll end on this. At Christian A. Craig, which young player would you build a team around, Mbappe or Holland? Oh, it's so hard. I think that Holland plays the, the, that traditional classic position up there in a much more definable and predictable way. And so therefore, once again, we're building something. And so immediately I know what my team is going to be with Aaron Holland, okay? So I, I think, I, I think I'm going to go with Holland. Mbappe, Mbappe can do more damage in more ways, but in a strange way, while, while Mbappe is a better player at this point, in a strange way, he's not the, the right player to build your team around, if that makes sense, because he's less definable. And that's a good thing that's a, that's a, that's a, you know, that speaks to his talent and his ability, but it also means that with him, the, the pieces don't fit up and it doesn't fall into place as quickly and as easily as opposed to someone like Holland. It's a great question. I don't know. What about you, Mossy? I would choose Mbappe. I will say, though, when I first watched him with Monaco, uh, the player he reminded me of was the Brazilian Ronaldo. And it's interesting that Mbappe has spent most of his career so far for both club and country playing out wide and cutting mm -hmm. in from wide positions and has had incredible success. So uh, there's no issues there. But there's still a nagging part of me that thinks that he ultimately projects more as a center forward. And I'll be curious to see if he ever makes that move in his career if he, if he stays out wide. So, you know, Holland, we know what position he is. Mbappe, I, I still think there's a little bit of a question hanging over yeah. what his ideal position would be. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah that's kind of what, what I was getting at there. And you, you, you articulated it a whole lot better. All right. Anything else, Mossy? Uh, no, that is it. I'll say uh, that's the end of... Uh... Ask Alexi. All right. And it's also the end of our show. Uh, and at the end of each and every show, you know, we give you uh, one for the road. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who uh, got a kick out of the one for the road yes, uh, last week when I was talking about having shots of Jägermeister and tequila with uh, members of, of Metallica. And uh, so I, I'm thinking back as, you know, for you know, crazy moments from the 90s. And as I've told you many times, I've just, it's, it's very much of a blur, the 90s. And they, they come back at different moments or I'm reminded with a picture or somebody will say something to me at, uh, at different times about events that I've been at or people that I've met or, or things that I've done. So I will tell you uh, about One for the Road. So a long time ago, uh, back when, uh, once again, in, in, in the 90s, um, there was the David Letterman show and the, what once was Johnny Carson show, but turned into the Jay Leno show. Those were the two competing late night talk shows. Uh, I'm incredibly fortunate and privileged uh, to say that I've been on both of them at different times, multiple times. And they are very, very different types of experiences. Yes, they are on different coasts, but the philosophy behind the show and the hosts could not be more diametrically opposed. And not one is right or wrong. And this is well documented for people that, that uh, know their late night history. Uh, Jay Leno 
on the on the west coast a much more gregarious personal type of approach and david letterman a much more standoffish harsh type of approach so when you do the jay leno show they bring you in and they you know he comes to your dressing room to meet you to take pictures uh with you to talk about what you're going to talk about all of this kind of stuff and there's a real warmth and and personality that they feel and and he felt translated better and made the guest that much better when they got on stage as opposed to on the east coast in new york in the ed sullivan theater when you did the uh, the late night with uh, david letterman you didn't see him uh well certainly i didn't see him until you walk out on stage, that curtain open, opens up and, uh, and you walk out on stage and you sit down. And he likes that electricity and that newness type of approach. Uh, he also does, if the legend is true, it is incredibly cold. It was incredibly cold in the actual studio, uh, which was uh, you know, an actual theater, as opposed to it was a very comfortable <laughs> temperature out on the, uh, on the West Coast. I do remember the first time that I ever did uh, The Tonight Show with, with Jay Leno, Cheryl Crow, who is a, uh, a singer, was a guest on it. And she had just come out with an album that I had actually listened to and bought. And I was so excited to tell her that I loved her uh, album. It was her, her debut album. It went on to sell millions and millions of uh, uh, of copies, but this was before she even went on to the bigger and better things. So, and I don't remember these things. The other part of it about the David Letterman is they wanted to cut my goatee off, completely shave my goatee. And I, for the, for one of the, you know, I'm proud of myself for different things. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. I recognize <laughs> that, that there was still some, uh, something to be had uh, from that goatee in terms of milking stuff going forward. So I compromised and I said, you can trim it. And so we came out and there was a, mo a point where he pulls out a, a pair of uh, scissors and actually trims my goatee on the Letterman show. So that was very, very cool. But it was, it was really interesting to see the differences in the way that two incredibly successful productions and famous and popular types of late night talk shows went about their business. And it couldn't be any more different, uh, as, as I said. And both of them, by the way, I, in no way did I feel uh, that one was better than the other. It was just completely two different experiences doing those uh, different shows. And it just shows you that you know, different ways of approaching things can still have the desired outcome. And you just got to figure out what you want to do and what works for you and then, uh, and then go for it. So you know, that was a long time ago before many of you were even, uh, even born back when the the late night talk shows were a much bigger thing. Uh, and the, the, the surreal moment, whether I was walking out from behind a curtain for The Tonight Show uh, with Jay Leno or walking out with uh, Late Night with David Letterman uh, from, uh, from backstage there at the Ed Sullivan Theater, they're just surreal type of moments where you sit there and you wait for that introduction and you wait for that signal from backstage and then you walk out and you do the thing that you saw sitting at home growing up so many people do and uh, i'm incredibly fortunate as i said to have been able to do some of those things over the course of my life so there's one for the road mossy anything before we uh we head out there and uh as you said we got a bunch of mls that we were doing right now so we're going to head right to the uh the fox lot with all of our friends over there and uh put on a show anything else mossy no that is it
All right. Thanks so much, Masya. I love uh, talking with you. Thank you so much to everybody else uh, out there that tunes in each and every week. I hope that you are staying safe. I hope that you are staying sane. Check us out on all the different platforms out there. Use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. Download, subscribe, rate, review, do all those different things that people do. We really appreciate that uh, you're spending some time with us, either listening or watching and whatever you are uh, doing right now. Onward and upward, everybody. And uh, we will talk again next week. And as always, size the deck.